some fights are worth fighting. Some fights are worth fighting. As followers of Jesus, we've got to be certain that we're fighting the right battles the right way and with the right weapons. I learned to love listening to Paul Harvey on the radio sitting with my grandfather years ago. Paul Harvey once told a story of the uncertain soldier in the Civil War, perhaps you've heard it, who figured he'd play it safe. He dressed himself in a blue coat and gray pants and tiptoed out onto the battlefield. He got shot at from both directions. You and I, if we are going to take an honest appraisal at the world into which we have been born, we're going to have to recognize that we were born into a spiritual battle zone. The assault for our mind is generational, it's immediate, and victory is available in Jesus Christ. But we're going to have to recognize that we were born into a battlefield. The best illustration of this I can think of that I'm quite certain I share too often is a woman that my office partner Phil and I enlisted into the Army National Guard a number of years ago who was born in Mogadishu, Somalia at the height of conflict in that city. And I asked her once, what was it like being born into a battlefield? And she said, you figured out real quick when it was safe to go outside and when you had to duck. She had the gift of recognizing the reality of her circumstance. Often, we lack the same gift. We likewise are born into a spiritual battlefield. And I want to suggest to you today that if we're going to face the fight, if we're going to win those battles, we've first got to recognize that some battles are worth fighting. And indeed, that there is a battle raging for our souls. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. I'm not encouraging you today to become some kind of warrior for this thing and that. To go out and pick fights. What I'm suggesting to you today has everything to do with this discussion about generational curses about the things that exist in our life that we need to address and deal with if we would find real, remember the word existential, reality, lived out, actuated freedom in Jesus Christ. If that freedom in Christ would become more than just an idea, we're going to have to address some things that are happening in our own minds, in our own hearts, and very likely things that have been going on in our families, communities, and even in our country for years. Alfred Nobel, he, he said this, I intend to leave after my death a large fund for the promotion of the peace idea, but I'm skeptical as to its results. The savants will write excellent volumes, there will be laureates, but wars will continue just the same until the force of circumstances renders them impossible. What was he saying? Well, I want to interpret that through a decidedly biblical lens and say this. Until Christ returns to consummate this age, there will be struggle. We're born onto a battlefield. And if we would recognize that reality, maybe then all of a sudden we would at least have a chance to find victory. 
But many an innocent victim is lost in these battles for lack of recognition that bullets are coming downrange. We have to learn how to fight, and we have to have the courage to face the fight. Only a trained spiritual warrior will win spiritual battles. And I want to encourage you today to begin to think of yourself, even if you don't look in the mirror and you don't see a warrior. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I see a 26-year-old Marine. He was quite the warrior. Sometimes I look, I even see that 18-year-old Marine. I have to look a lot harder to find him. He's in there somewhere beneath all the cushioning and padding. (laughs) You may not see yourself as a warrior, but God does. If we are alive in Jesus Christ, we have access to great spiritual weapons, but we'll have to recognize that our weapons are not like those of this world. Take a look in your bulletin. You'll find this insert. Here's the four points that I'm going to share with you right now. Feel free to follow along on the backside of that. If you're a note taker, there's a little spot for taking notes. So here's four things to consider about spiritual warfare, and that's really at the end of the day what we're talking about. That battleground that takes place in the mind, the heart, and in the soul, in the emotions, and usually, or at least very often, is generational. It exists in our families. It was handed down to us, or at least we were culturally conditioned to acquire various maladies that need to be addressed. And I want to encourage you today to have the courage to face the fight. There are grandmothers who see traits mimicked in their daughters. And they see in themselves, oh gosh, I wish I hadn't passed that on. But you're too scared to talk to your daughter. You think she's going to get offended. She might face the fight. But fight the enemy, the real enemy, which is the generational curse, the sin habit, the sin pattern, the ugly dragon, the pet dragon that keeps afflicting the family. Not her. Face the real fight. That spiritual reality, that stronghold that's being spoken of in the passage of Scripture that was just shared with you. Have the courage to face the fight, but do it the right way. How many of you know that picking a fight with your daughter-in-law by telling her that's not the right way to do it? How many of you know that's not going to end well? How many daughters-in-law know that if you pick the fight with your mother-in-law, well, I'm not going to baby him the way you did. Anybody ever, don't, don't raise your hand. Anybody ever said something like that? I've heard it. It's not in my family, of course, but in other families. And uh, fight with the battle, fight the battles of the spiritual realm with the spiritual weapons that God has given us with love and faith and, 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 and humility. Here are four things to consider about spiritual warfare. And that was one of thousands of examples of the kinds of patterns that exist in our life that we may need to find the courage to face the fight. Point number one, the enemy has already been defeated. Colossians 2.15, and I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, says this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. I can't read this passage enough. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What do our spiritual weapons look like? 
They always look like Jesus dying on the cross. Always. 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 We want to know how to fight the spiritual battles in our life. The discussion of warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 is a metaphor. It's not literal. It's pointing to these higher realities. Put on the armor. Pick up the sword of truth. The helmet of salvation. Jesus on the cross at what should have been his ultimate defeat, it became his ultimate victory. And it is our ultimate example of how to emulate Christ to win the battles in this world. Anytime we want to know how to look like Jesus in a situation, we look to the cross. Oh, I'm supposed to emulate sacrifice for others. Suffering for God's ultimate provision to be found. I'm supposed to put somebody else in front of me. Now all of a sudden it sounds like I'm paraphrasing a bunch of other passages of Scripture. Living a life worthy of Christ is living a life like Christ, which was dying for his enemies. You see, we're not going to win these battles by trying to get our way or insisting that we're right. But rather, by looking like Jesus at the cross. What Satan thought was his ultimate victory was in fact ultimate defeat. Satan's ultimate weapon. Because you see, according to this passage, he's been disarmed. His ultimate weapon is accusation. He slithers in the corner of the courtroom of our mind where we judge ourselves. And he hisses, sinner, shame, far from God. The only weapon he has left is a weapon that we let him beat us with. Shame. Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Listen, Satan hates the mercy of God. And this is ultimately why he hates you and I. Because we are the recipients of God's mercy, love, and grace. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Satan accuses us and shames us. The very thing holding you and I back from facing the fight may be a sense of desperate inadequacy. Who am I to do anything? I remember when I sensed a call to pastoral ministry, I was about 17 years old. And I said to myself, how on earth could God possibly use me in any positive way? I'm just a messed up kid. Some of you don't know, I was. Right? Metallica jean jacket, a really cool mullet. I'm telling you, I was a mess. I was a messed up kid from what I believed to be a desperately dysfunctional family. From a messed up part of this country. Has anything good come from Modesto, California, I once said to myself. But that voice was Satan saying, sinner, lost. You come from a family filled with sin. God could never use you. But that was a lot different than the voice of the Lord who says, come to me. And I'll give you rest. Repent, and I'll make you a new creation. He who is free in Christ is free indeed. God doesn't just use messed up people. 
He clearly seems to prefer to use sinners, the more lost, the better, because he gets more glory. So what's holding you back from facing the fight? Is it shame? A sense of inadequacy? I could never, I can never, God could never. There is a kind of conviction that happens in our hearts that's from the Holy Spirit that is a good thing. When the Holy Spirit convicts, though, it always leads to repentance. Oh, that's holding me back. I need God to take that from my life. That's how to tell the difference between conviction and shame. The Holy Spirit convicts us and points us to repentance and change and hope and healing. Whereas the slithering voice of our enemy says, shame on you, sinner, lost, far from God. God could never and you could never. Learn to hear the difference. God convicts leading to repentance. Satan only accuses. Romans 8.33 says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. There is a beautiful sentence. God himself has given us right standing with himself. He himself has saved us, dusted us off, made us a new creation, and set us on a path of transformation. Conviction is God telling us that He's not through with us yet. The Holy Spirit convicts and it always leads to hope. The enemy always accuses and it leads to shame, which keeps us locked away from healing. Listen, James chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. Now, let's deal with this first. Point number two. Okay, follow along if you'd like to. The devil is looking for someone to devour. That lion's scary. It's an interesting fact about lions that just walk around roaring. Most of them are aging and their teeth are failing. It's just a lot of blustering. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I want to encourage you today to wake up. There is a, really like even right now, if you're like dozing off, wake up. Or I'm trying not, look, look, I'm trying not to be like super loud. Somebody said, hey, you're like loud enough for six auditoriums like this. So I'm trying not to be super loud, but but wake up. But more importantly than being awake in this moment, be awake in every moment to the reality that our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour us. Listen, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Satan doesn't take breaks from trying to devour us. So we must not take breaks from our devotion to God to be strengthened, prepared, readied for his attacks. Stay alert. There's a battle waging for our souls. And the generational curses and patterns of our living will snare us. Point number three, your job is only to believe. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses three through five says this, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Listen, this warfare is usually happening in our own minds. 
We've got to have the courage to face the battles that we don't want to deal with. I'll tell you this, it strikes me that Michiganders, that's this phrase, right? Michiganders? And at least Detroiters, or whatever all of us are. They are not afraid to call out what they think is wrong in somebody else, especially when you're driving on the roads. <laughs> who, can wit- who, can, who can witness to that? Everybody, right? I told you three weeks ago, I'm still trying to get over. The guy cussing me out on the road. I'm still trying. But he's a lot like all of us, isn't he? So easy to see the problem in somebody else. Where'd you learn how to drive? California? Yeah. So easy. It doesn't usually take a lot of courage, at least not for a blustering buffoon like that guy, to call out someone else's error. What he believes someone else did wrong. It takes a lot more courage to face the fight within. What false thinking do I have that needs to be addressed? And then when I see it carried on in my generational patterns, my children and their children, how much courage do I have to have the humility necessary to say, I am sorry for passing that on, and I want to address it with the weapons of our warfare, humility, love, kindness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit. Get busy facing the fight inside, and we'll start seeing manifest victories on the outside. We fight in faith, trusting God for the victory, and our only job is to believe, to trust, to ask God to change us, to transform us, to be courageous enough to open the world and open the word and let it be a mirror that shows what we really are and then trust God to transform us. Christian faith, though, isn't inactive. Consider Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, faith is an active participation with what God is doing in us and through us in the world. Point number four, finally, you're not called to fight. You've got to learn to think about fighting differently. We've got to learn to reshape how we understand battles. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, the Bible says in Ephesians 6.13, So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. We may not always know how to deal with the attack. We may not have the perfect idea of how to fix it, how to fight it. But God is calling us to stand firm in faith, to trust Him to deliver us from the battle, to trust Him for the victory. Sometimes all you can do is stand firm. You know, I picked up at a thrift store the other day. I love going to thrift stores. You have no idea. I love it. You ever seen that show on the History Channel called uh, American Pickers? That's what I envision I'm up to, picking. It's not really true. Somebody else did it, and they brought it to the thrift store. And I picked up the coolest thing the other day. It's a little uh, dartboard for our basement, okay? It's a little dartboard, and uh, my kids have never played darts, so uh, it's a good thing it's a plastic dart. You know what I'm talking about? The little plastic tips, and uh, it works. I'm going to get it hung up soon. We're going to start playing some darts. And, uh, you know, if you throw a real dart at somebody and it hits them, it hurts. 
You ever had this mistake? Or if you miss it and it hits the wall, it messes it all up. But those little plastic darts are really nothing to be afraid of, are they? I don't think they are. They bend easily. They don't hurt all that bad. Maybe if you throw them real hard, maybe. Put simply, Jesus has already defeated our enemy. The darts of shame and accusations, they're like plastic darts. They only have as much effect as we allow them to have. We could throw a fit every time he hits us with one of them. We could pretend that we're knocked down and and we're destroyed. Or we could recognize their relative inadequacy to destroy us. The enemy only has one real weapon, and that is accusation leading to shame. He's already had all the other weapons taken away from him. They are only flaming arrows when we set them ablaze with a lack of faith. I want to encourage you today to stand in the face of the enemy and declare his defeat. Whatever generational curses that you might identify in your life, if you're careful and prayerful, whatever patterns of sin that are in place in our lives that we need to come against, I want to encourage you today to simply start to reframe our thinking in terms of having the willingness to face the fight, to wake up, to stay alert to the reality that we were born on a battlefield. The enemy is prowling around. He's looking to destroy us. In this spiritual life, there really doesn't seem to be any sitting still. Either we're growing in Christ or we're becoming more and more susceptible to our enemy. I want to conclude this message just with this final thought. You know, one piece of Marine Corps combat training that impacted me the most in terms of always keeping it with me in my mind for a kind of metaphor for life. I remember I was in Marine Corps combat training, MCT, and uh, in San Diego, California, Camp Pendleton, and we were out training and these infantry instructors, they were teaching us about real battlefield tactics, right? And I was uh, an 18-year-old Marine. I was at least 10 feet tall and believed myself to be utterly bulletproof. And, uh, you know, and we were, we were being trained by these infantry, these sergeants and staff sergeants, guys that had been in the Gulf War, and I just thought these guys were the greatest thing. They were real tough guys, you know? And uh, so we're being trained, and they take us into this valley, our little platoon. They take us into this little valley. Uh, there's very mountainous, that part of California, in Southern California. And uh, so there's a, there's a, we go into this valley, there's a big hill on this side and a big hill on this side. And some of those instructors were up on either side of the hill. And our little unit came into that little valley, and then these instructors up top stood up, and we saw that we were pinned down, ambushed. Now, the lead instructor who's in the valley with us, he said, now, what do you do? And some of the Marines were like, well, seek cover. Get behind that rock. He said, are you going to be safe behind the rock? There's fire coming from that side and that side. Someone else said, just try to run out of the valley. Well, this valley had been chosen very specifically, and there wasn't an easy way out of it. And then that infantry instructor said what I still believe to be maybe the most insane thing I've ever heard in my entire life. He said, here's what you do. You turn. You run up the hill screaming like a maniac and face the fight. You're going to die in the valley. You're pinned down. You're born on a battlefield. You're going to die in the valley. There's no way to escape. There's no way out. You can hide. But that lion, he's going to find you behind that rock. Far better to face the fight than to pretend it's not happening and hide behind a rock. Listen, I want to encourage you only this way today. There is victory in Jesus Christ for these 
patterns of sin or shame or pain or heartache or heartbreak, whatever they might be, whether they're really big things or just these little plagues that just keep us from getting to where God is calling us to be, like a rock in your shoe. Who knows that a little bitty rock in your shoe can slow you down more than a boulder you have to walk around. I want to encourage you today. Find victory in Christ. There is healing at the cross. And it's not just an idea. But we've got to have the courage to face the fight. To attack our enemy. He's already been defeated. His weapons are all gone. Stand firm in Christ and trust God for deliverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, God, today. Lord, we thank you that our weapons are not of this earth so that we might be able to conquer the enemy of our soul. God, I pray for everyone in this place today that you would grant us deliverance from those things that afflict us, that you would give us the courage to pay careful attention to the patterns in our lives that we may choose not to see. And then having seen them, grant us the courage to face that fight. Oh, how much easier it is to pretend it's not present, but how destructive it is not to face it. God, I pray for Mount Hope and for everyone associated with a a part of this place that you would bring a spirit of revival that would begin in each one of our hearts knowing that the victory has already been won at the cross. God, won't you empower us to stand firm in it. In Jesus' name, amen.